Welcome to State Bar of Michigan's On Balance Podcast, where we talk about practice management and lawyer wellness for a thriving law practice with your hosts, Joanne Hathaway and Tish Vincent, here on Legal Talk Network. Take it away, ladies. Hello, and welcome to another edition of the State Bar of Michigan's On Balance podcast on Legal Talk Network. I'm Tish Vincent. And I'm Joanne Hathaway. We're very pleased to have Allison Shields, attorney, author, and president of Legal East Consulting, join us today as our podcast guest to talk about how to do more in less time. I'd like to also let you know that Allison, along with her co-author, Dan Sigal, have authored a book through the ABA Law Practice Division with the same title as this podcast, How to Do More in Less Time. That can be found on the ABA web store, and the link is also being shared via the show notes in this podcast. So, Allison, would you share some information about yourself with our listeners? Sure. I am a lawyer by training. I no longer practice. I started Legal Ease Consulting to help lawyers with the business end of their practice. So that's everything from uh, how they market themselves, how they identify the right clients for them, how they attract those clients, and then how they serve those clients in terms of the running of their business. Um, and one of the things that I do with my clients is what we're going to talk about today, which is trying to manage themselves and their activities better to get more done in less time. What are the biggest mistakes you see lawyers making when it comes to managing their time and activities effectively? Well, I think one of the problems is thinking that you can manage time, right? So we all mm -hmm. have the same 24 hours in a day and the same seven days in a week. Um, and I think just one of the biggest mistakes is is thinking that you're going to be able to manage your time as opposed to thinking about managing what you do with the amount of time that you're given. So that being said, I think some of the biggest mistakes I see lawyers making are really working kind of haphazardly, reacting to what's in front of them instead of having a system or a strategy or a plan for themselves and then getting stuck in the long, never-ending, ineffective to-do lists. Uh, and I find lawyers are not really good at managing themselves or managing the projects well. It's just not a skill that we ever really learn, and it's certainly not something that's, that's taught in law school. So, you know, we don't manage our activities because we don't know how to manage ourselves. And we don't know how to manage our, our calendars effectively. And then I think especially now, these days, lawyers don't take enough advantage of opportunities that are out there to automate some of what they do so that they can really focus on some of the softer skills and really serving clients and, and doing the important things that they went to law school for. So, Allison, what would you say your best advice to help lawyers take back control of their day is instead of them just reacting or putting out fires? Well, you know, I think one of the things I said before, it's really about trying to set up a, a strategy or a system and not letting yourself be hooked into reacting to to what's in front of you, right? So, I mean, it's easy to get caught up in, oh, I have 500 emails in, in my inbox and I'm going to start reacting to or responding to emails. Or 
I hear the phone ringing. And so that means I automatically have to answer it regardless of, of what else I'm doing. Or somebody else in my office decides that it's time for them to take a break. So they're going to come in and interrupt me in my work and what I'm doing. Uh, and so just letting those outside priorities take precedence, I think, is is one of the, the biggest problems. So the way to get around that is to take a step back and really set your own goals and priorities. And it amazes me when I work with lawyers or law firms, when I sit down with them and I talk about, okay, you know, whether we're talking initially about a marketing initiative or talking about getting more organized in their firm or revamping their billing system, you know, I'll sit down and say, well, you know, what are your goals for the year for the firm or for you individually as a lawyer? You know, what are your three biggest priorities for this year? A lot of them don't know the answer. They never sit down to set those goals to begin with. And so, if they're not doing that, it's much easier to fall into the trap of of reacting all the time, right? Mm-hmm. So I think that idea of setting priorities, defining what are those high value activities? You know, what are the activities that only you as the lawyer or as the professional, as the person who's really servicing the client can do or that you have to do because you're the only one who can bill for them or who has the education or the training to do them and to focus on getting those things done and then learning how to pass off the other work to whether it's other people or to technology and really learning how to distinguish between, and I'm a big fan of, of Stephen Covey's seven habits of highly effective people and his whole concept of, of importance versus urgency and figuring out what are the important tasks and the urgent, but not important tasks that we kind of fall into the trap of spending time on that we take a step back and understand that just because the phone is ringing or just because somebody sent me an email doesn't necessarily mean that that needs to become the first thing that I'm doing. That I've already identified what my priorities are and what's most important. And I'm going to focus on that before I let that quote unquote urgency kind of take over. Yeah, so many of us fall into a trap of never of a never ending to do list. Are there better ways to manage all of the tasks and projects you need to get done? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think all of us kind of get stuck in that trap, right? Mm-hmm. Like, oh, I, yes. you want to you want to really capture everything that that you have to get done. So you know, I, I think that in some ways you really need that to do list. Somehow it needs to be captured, whether that's in your case management system, or just for individual people, maybe it's a to-do list or a task list, whether it's it's written in hard copy or it's in some kind of a digital format on the computer, you may want to capture everything in one place, but to work off of that never-ending to-do list just doesn't work. And one of the reasons is because if you're looking at one big long list, there's no way to distinguish what the priority is, right? So having one big long list isn't very helpful and it becomes very overwhelming because what happens with that list? Even if you cross three things off, you probably added five to the list. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. it just gets, it gets very discouraging and overwhelming. And when you're working off of a big long list, it's very difficult not to become discouraged and and overwhelmed and say, no matter, uh, I'm not getting ahead, right? right? So 
I like the idea of having a, a master project list or using your case management system to make sure that you're actually capturing everything because you don't want to fall into the opposite trap, which is having no to-do list and you're trying to keep everything in your brain that you have to get done. That doesn't work either. One of my favorite things to work with clients on is what I call the don't-do list. Instead <laughs> of the to-do list, what's your don't-do list? So what does that mean? It means maybe there are things that I've been doing for such a long time, but I haven't then reevaluated whether I still should be doing them or whether it's appropriate for, for me to pass those things on, on to somebody else. And that doesn't mean that you have to sit down and physically write out a don't-do list, but it's just the idea of thinking not just about what you have to do, but also what can be eliminated or what doesn't make sense anymore. Maybe the marketplace has changed. Maybe the way we work has changed. And so we were doing these 10 steps, but now we only really need to do five because the other five are not important. One of the great things I like about the don't do list is thinking about which clients should be on the don't do list, um, <laughs> right? Because you, you think about the Pareto principle and the 80-20 rule and you know, 20% of your clients are probably bringing you 80% of your work and 80, the other 80% of your clients are only bringing 20% of your work. So maybe if we got rid of some of the clients that are sucking up resources but aren't really bringing benefit to the firm, that's a nice thing, don't do list. Or maybe thinking about what kinds of clients that we shouldn't take anymore, whether I don't like doing this practice area anymore, or I have learned that clients that come in with either these questions or this attitude or this way of, of looking at their matter are not clients that I'm going to work the best with. Um, Makes sense. You know. And then I really like what I call the power of three. So I have my clients try to ask themselves every day, what three things can I do today so that if I get nothing else done, if the world goes haywire and I only get three things done, I'll be able to feel when I leave the office like I had a productive day and that I accomplished something. And then to take those three tasks and focus on getting those tasks done first. I had a question for you, Allison, about the goals when you were talking about goals and to-do lists and the power of three. Just backing up a little bit with goals, I was wondering, say if you're not a solo practitioner, if you're working in a department with several other lawyers, do you find that the sharing of information of each other's goals is important so you're not working in silos and maybe against each other? Um, does that ever come into play? Yeah, absolutely. I love that question. So I look, I think if you're in a law firm that that the firm should have goals. I mean, there should be some sort of a meeting, whether whether it's just with the management team or just the partners or maybe it's all the lawyers, especially in a smaller firm. A lot of times it it doesn't make sense to exclude associates, even though they're not partners from from the whole process of talking about where you want the firm to go and what the firm's goals are. And then once you have that conversation, when each lawyer sets their own goals, those goals can be set in a way that also advances the goals of the firm. And once you talk about that, then people can help one another. And if they have similar goals, then there's ways to work together to make each person's goals you know, much more, not only effective, but the chances of accomplishing them are much higher. I mean, none of us, even if you're a solo, none of us does anything really completely on our own. 
Uh, and if you already have a team in place, why not take advantage of that team by working together and setting goals together that make sense um, and learning how you can help one another, you know, especially if you've got a younger lawyer and they say, you know, I, I want to learn how to bring in more business or uh, one of my goals is to to try my first case this year. Well, then you've got other lawyers in the firm who may be looking out for a case that this person could try, or, hey, I know you want to learn to bring in business. You want to start developing your own book of business. Why don't you come with me to this meeting so that you can see what I do? You know, those kinds of things. A lot of lawyers brag about how much work they have to do, say, for instance, how late they're at the office or how often they're working on weekends, almost as if they're proud of being overwhelmed. I noticed on your website um, called Lawyer Meltdown, one of your goals is to reduce lawyer burnout. So what are your tips for that? So, you know, to me, it always bothers me when, when lawyers talk about how busy and overwhelmed they are as if it's almost like a badge of honor, right? And mm-hmm. it, it makes me sad <laughs> and frustrated because I think that they're just you know, harming themselves. And sometimes I think it's masking some real big problems. And it's almost like they feel like they have to be overly busy or overworked. And really, that's not serving anybody. It's not serving their clients well. You know, it's kind of like that old adage about putting your own oxygen mask on first before you help anybody else. If you're not taking care of yourself and and nurturing yourself and making sure that you're healthy and that you have healthy relationships outside of the office and and all of those things, which requires you to have downtime and have some opportunity to kind of relax and refresh and and all of those good things. You're certainly not helping your your friends and your family, and you're obviously not helping your clients. So this comes down to what I mentioned in the beginning about learning how to manage yourself and how to manage projects. And and again, a lot of these things, they're not things that we learn in law school. So I think a lot of times overwhelm and overwork is the result of bad habits that are developed because we don't know any better and we didn't learn some of these skills. And I, I work with a lot of my clients on this. As a matter of fact, I, I was working with a client on Thursday last week and he said, I have no idea what, like I never learned even how to work with a to-do list or how to to prioritize these different projects. And, and now I'm supposed to be managing other people in my firm because I've been recently elevated to partner and now I've got associates that I have to work with and I, I just don't know how to do it. So I think one of the biggest tips that I have is to give up multitasking. You know, so anybody that thinks that they're way overwhelmed, they talk about how great it is that they could do six things at once. And the truth is that if you're talking about anything that takes any kind of brain power, which is pretty much everything that you do in a law office, right? You're just hurting yourself. You can't do two things at once. You can't try to talk to the client on the phone and also be sending somebody else an email because somewhere that's where something gets messed up. You're not really listening to what the client's telling you on the phone or you're not paying enough attention. And that's when the email gets sent to the wrong person, (laughs) to the adversary Mm -hmm. instead of to your client or whatever. (laughs) And there's a great book on this called The Myth of Multitasking that I recommend to people all the time. And it's by a man by the name of David Crenshaw. And he says, multitasking, there's really no such thing. What you're really doing is, is what he calls switch tasking. 
and this was the best explanation I ever heard for this. So basically, you're just trying to rapidly switch back and forth between two different things. You're not actually doing two different things at once. And there's all kinds of studies, and we talk about this in, in How to Do More in Less Time, about how much longer it takes you to do something when you're multitasking and how much more prone to error you are when you're trying to, to multitask. And I think it really hurts relationships too, because if you're the client on the other end of the phone, you know when the person on the other end of the phone isn't paying attention. You can just tell. And then, then you have to either try to fake it or you have to admit that you got distracted and you aren't paying attention. And none of that is really good for client relationships. Uh, and it's certainly not good when you have to explain why the email went to your adversary with the trial strategy <laughs> that it was supposed to go you know, to the client or the witness or whatever. Um, and I think lawyers really need to learn better how to delegate. So, I mean, we have like a whole chapter in the book on delegation. And I think a lot of that comes down to not really giving great instruction to the person that you're delegating to. And so, or expecting way too much of the person that you're delegating to the first time that you give them anything to do. You hand it off and then it comes back and it's it's not perfect. And so you say, forget it, I'm never giving them, I, I just have to do it myself, right? Instead of really using it as a teaching opportunity and and trying to find out why it went wrong and how to fix it and how to teach the other person how to do it the way that you want it done. Uh, so a lot of that is not giving the right instructions or not making sure that the other person understood your instructions. I think there's a lot of that when we try to delegate is that you forget what the other person doesn't know. You don't really necessarily know what they don't know. And a lot of times when you're delegating, the person you're delegating to doesn't want to admit that they don't know what you're talking about <laughs> mm -hmm. or they don't feel like it's safe to ask a question. And so they go off and try to figure it out themselves, which oftentimes they can't read minds, so they're not going to figure it out. And I think sometimes we make mistakes in delegating in that we, we think we're just going to pass it off and it's going to come back perfect instead of saying, you know, let's set some milestones or some check-ins so that I can see if you're off track before, you know, the day before the project is due or the motion is supposed to be filed in court. And now I'm staying up at night and I'm really frustrated because I'm doing it myself. You know, I need to give you a little time to make corrections, you know, by having that, that check-in or those, those milestones. And then I think a lot of times we don't do a good job of evaluating and sharing what happened with the person that we're delegating to. So we never go back and say, you did this well, you, you didn't do this well, or, you know, here's how this contributed to, to the case that we're handling, you know, instead of just giving them a project and then never coming back to them and say, hey, look what happened. We won the motion or the client was really happy or this argument was very successful in, in court and, and this one maybe not so much. And so then we don't understand why when we give them a project the second time, it's not any better than the first time. You know, so, yeah. So I think learning to delegate and learning to to really prioritize and focus on one thing at a time and managing interruptions, you know, which I could talk another half hour about. <laughs> Let me interrupt you with one more question. Though. <laughs> the law is so often a deadline-driven profession, which puts a lot of pressure on lawyers. At the same time, the work that doesn't have a deadline often gets pushed to the back burner, especially if that work is not billable. How do you recommend lawyers balance deadline-driven work with non-deadline-driven work? or billable hours with non-billable hours work? 
Yeah, I mean, it's tough to decide when you have two things that need to get done or that you would like to get done. One of them you're going to get paid for and the other one you're not. <laughs> it's very easy <laughs> to focus on on the one that you're going to get paid for. But what happens sometimes is that you're sacrificing your long-term success for the short-term gain. And so sometimes what happens when you have, and sometimes it's not even that, sometimes they're both things that you're going to get paid, but one of them has a hard stop. You have to have this done because you're going to appear in court next Tuesday. It's going to get done before next Tuesday. Whereas if it's not such a deadline driven task, and you said you were going to get back to the client on something, but it's not tied to a specific date, that becomes difficult. And so what I try to help my clients with is what I call setting external deadlines. So anything that doesn't have a built-in deadline, you create a deadline for it. And then you want to make it what I call external. So and what I mean by that is I could decide arbitrarily that I'm going to have this project done by next Friday. But I'm the only one who knows that, and I'm really good at cheating myself as opposed to cheating other people, right? So if I make it an external deadline, so for example, if I tell the client I'm going to have it to them by Friday, I'm much more likely to meet that deadline because I don't want to disappoint them. I'm okay with disappointing myself, but I don't want to disappoint them. Uh, and if it's something that's really internal or it's personal to you, then maybe you get a colleague or, you know, Joanne was asking about setting goals. And when you set goals together with other people on your team or in your firm, then you can also help to hold each other accountable. So you want to go step one step further than just setting the goal and say, okay, well, how are we going to get there? What are we going to do? And what's the deadline? You, so you said you wanted to start building more business. So what are the things that need to be done? So by next week, I want you to call X number of people or to set a coffee date with a potential client or, you know, to send a bunch of invitations on LinkedIn to expand your network, whatever it might be. But talking to somebody else about it and making the deadline external makes it much more likely that you're going to get it done. I always say, learn how to use your calendar effectively. So we're good at putting the deadline on the calendar, but we're not necessarily good at putting the work on the calendar. Like it has to be done by next Friday, but when am I going to sit down? When do I have time in my schedule to sit down and actually work on it. And I think blocking that time and putting the actual work and not just the deadline on the calendar has been hugely helpful for a lot of my clients. Interesting. That's a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> Very good idea. Allison, you had mentioned when talking about multitasking, or as you indicated, Mr. Crenshaw called switch tasking, which I found very interesting. But I know that the trend has been, not just recently, but for a long time, that support staff is not necessarily a component of a law practice anymore. I mean, a lot of lawyers are expected to do their own typing and take on a lot of the administrative tasks that in the past they had support staff to do. Do you find that particularly for the older lawyers, or should I say the seasoned lawyers, that that causes frustration and an inability to get things done in and in promptly and in, in good turnaround time? Yeah, absolutely. You know, because we don't get that training in law school either. So, you know, the, the second half of, of how to do more in less time, the book we've got, and I have to give Dan Sigal a ton of credit here because he did a lot of the work on the second half of the book. 
you know, we need to learn how to use our technology as effectively and efficiently as we possibly can. And so with the reduction in, in support staff or, you know, clients who, who used to pay a paralegal rate for certain work to get done and refuse to pay that. So that means the lawyer gets stuck doing it because I can't afford to pay the paralegal if I can't bill for the paralegal. You know, so there's a lot of shortcuts and, and ways to do things more efficiently using that technology. And it does get very frustrating for the practitioners. As a matter of fact, one of the projects I'm working on right now is working with one of our local law schools here on Long Island to put together a technology training certificate program for practicing lawyers so that they can learn how to use the technology that's out there and and learn how to use it to automate some of these processes. So the great thing about the technology now is that some things that a support staff person used to do, now you can set things up using templates and using software that, you know, almost with all this artificial intelligence and machine learning that's coming out now, that it can do these, a lot of these processes for you. You just have to know how to use the technology. Excellent. Well, Allison, it looks like we've come to the end of our show. We'd like to thank you for a wonderful program. Allison, if our guests would like to follow up with you, how can they reach you? Well, my email address is Allison, which is A-L-L-I-S-O-N, at LegalEaseConsulting.com, and that's LegalEase, E-A-S-E. You can also find, there's a ton of resources and information on my website, which is LawyerMeltdown.com, and on my blog, which is LegalEaseConsulting.com. Thank you, Allison. Thank you. This has been another edition of the State Bar of Michigan On Balance podcast. I'm Joanne Hathaway. And I'm Tish Vincent. Until next time, thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to the State Bar of Michigan On Balance podcast. Brought to you by the State Bar of Michigan and produced by the broadcast professionals at Legal Talk Network. If you'd like more information about today's show, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com, subscribe via Apple Podcasts and RSS, find the State Bar of Michigan and Legal Talk Network on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn, or download Legal Talk Network's free app in Google Play and iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by Legal Talk Network or the State Bar of Michigan or their respective officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer.